everybody. Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. I'm your host, Chad Anderson. In our last episode, we covered X-Men number 58. We're getting to the close, uh, close to the end of the original 60s run, which ends at 66. Uh, Neil Adams is on the board book now. It's gorgeous. Uh, the basic recap I'll provide you, this is the end today of a three-part storyline. Larry Trask is the son of Bolivar Trask, who is the creator of the Sentinels and died in the initial Sentinels appearance. And he is allied with a federal judge named Chalmers to get government backing on the new Sentinel program. Uh, the Sentinels are bigger, they're more focused, they can learn from their mistakes now, apparently. They're super logic-based, we'll talk about that in today's <laughs> issue. And they have been uh, ordered to protect humans and kill mutants. They're going around and kidnapping everybody. They've captured Havoc, they've captured Lorna Dane, and Iceman, and Angel, and Mesmero, and a whole bunch of other people that are alluded to. Uh, even the living monolith and Banshee are around. Uh, only Cyclops, Beast, and Marvel Girl remain free, but oh no, uh, Larry Trask has this amulet he's been wearing that blocks his mutant powers. Chalmers rips it off and now the Sentinels are like, you're a mutant also. And so they grabbed him at the end of our last episode. So before we get to today's review, we're gonna spend some time getting to know our guests. Our featured guest today is an incredibly talented artist named Jerry Gaylord, who I've been excited to talk to for some time. I'm also be uh, thrilled to be joined for the first time uh, by uh, I'm weirding my words out. I'm thrilled to be joined by Caroline Cosplay uh, or Caroline Bird and uh, have returning co-host uh, Steve Duda here with me. So let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns. Tell us a little bit about where we may know you from. And uh, question during introduction today, which I didn't give you any warning for, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen a robot do in real life? So uh, we'll go in the order of Jerry, Caroline, and then Steve. Okay, so uh, I'm Jerry Gaylord. My pronouns are he, him. Um, you may know me from uh, Fanboys versus Zombies from Boom Studios. Did some um, little bit of tiny bit of Sonic the Hedgehog, a little bit of um, Ninja Turtle stuff. And I'm currently working <coughs> at Marvel Studios on uh, X-Men 97. Ah! <laughs> that was my excited scream. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super cool. Um, and as far as robots, um, the craziest thing I've seen a robot do in real life, uh, does the internet count? Sure. I think just that, like, that dog robot is just freaky. Like, it just looks freaky. It freaks me out when I see it. I hate it. I'm like, it. It should not yeah, have made right? that. It should not yeah, have it's, made it. It's like, that's the end for all of us. It's over. So... That's the, the beginning dog, of the Sentinels. The dog robot uprising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to Caroline next. Um, my name is Caroline Bird. You might know me um, from, well, I'm pretty much all over the internet. Um, try to be active, but I'm also, I've been in Neo Magazine um, multiple times in their cosplay section, um, as well as just recently I was in Creative Cosplays Magazine as their uh, female cosplayer of the season. Um, let's see. My pronouns are she and her. And craziest thing that I've seen a robot do in real life. Well, I, I've only seen video of one particular one being sassy to somebody. Um, they were it thought it was hitting on her, and you know I'm guessing it was her. I I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it was 
it, it had some sort of comeback. I can't remember the comeback now, but yeah, it was bring pretty snippy with the guy. <laughs> um, other than that, in real life, uh, I went to Japan. I went to Tokyo before, and they had some really crazy looking robots, but I didn't see them doing anything weird. But yeah, it's pretty. They were still pretty cool to look at. Caroline has also done an episode with Connor on Cerebro, all about Psylocke, which was wonderful. Thank you. And uh, Caroline was just here for Fanex in Salt Lake City, and we were in the same building and didn't know it until we were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so nice to see you in person over the camera. Uh, and then uh, go. Let's go to Steve. Oh, me, Steve, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. That's H O W D Y D U D A. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. I am a chronically online podcaster. Uh, I work primarily with Access for Podcast. Uh, you can find us on all places that podcasts are available. I highly recommend you do. It's just a roundtable where we talk about X-Men comics and often not X-Men comics. Honestly, most of my work is Moon Knight and Defenders related, but it is always a blast and I'm delighted to do that every Sunday. Uh, you can find appearances by me on X of Words, especially in their earlier days. I would like to get back into the groove with that again because I miss uh, hanging out with that crew. They're so fun. And uh, I have you may know me from the Trial of Toad and the Trial of the Angel from here on Grey Malkin Lane. Or Grotesque, our focused episode on Grotesque. Oh, how could I not mention Grotesque? That's my favorite one. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've ever seen a robot do, Steve? Well, Chad, I uh, was in high school in a particular time, and that particular time was the dominant era of battle bots on television. So I've seen quite a lot of crazy things from robots, not least them flipping over, screeching in metal rending sounds and going up in flames. Uh, definitely seeing one pitchfork another and then toss it across the arena is definitely one of the craziest things I've seen. It is very much pro wrestling for robots, and it's back, and they play it right after AEW Dynamite now, so that's wonderful. Uh, Steve, you're one of my like four favorite people to co-host with. I'm so thrilled you're back. Thanks for coming today. Yes, I, uh, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am going to go back to childhood. The first time I ever remember being kind of flipped out by a robot, we went to like a toy store at the mall. And it was one of those like little, you like push the button and it's like a dog or a pig or something. And it's like, ruh, 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 ruh. and then it would like backflip. It'd like do a roll backwards. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Those like little. I remember that one. And I was like, what? <laughs> I must have been five. And I remember thinking like, whoa, these are amazing. And this is back in the 80s when like we envisioned a future where like robots were like working side by side with man or yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was sure. just a very different time. Sure. Uh, in today's issue that we'll get to in a little while, we have a very sassy Sentinel that is one of my favorite X-Men characters of all time. Sentinel number two, we're going to get to him. But he's, he's amazing. Well, I'm gendering. They, they are amazing. I don't know what their gender is. Yeah. Uh, so let's start, let's start by getting to know Jerry a little bit. Jerry, tell me a little bit about your journey as a comic book fan into uh, kind of comic book professional life. Yeah, sure. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, I guess, you know, like most of us, like I really got, well, you know what? Um, in the beginning, it was all about Superman. Like when I was, um, you know, I can remember being like four years old and like tuning into the Super Friends cartoons before, like before my mom would take me to like preschool. Um, so that was like a really big deal. Like the, you know, like the older Super Friends that was on reruns and 
Um, it was like just a huge deal for me. And then you know, I'm going to I'm going to side note there. I uh, my children asked me to show them a cartoon from my childhood recently, and I showed them an episode of Super Friends. And they were like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. But when we were kids, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, your kids are not wrong per se, but like I like watching it as an adult. It's it's pretty funny. Like it's, it's, it's pretty humorous. But like my favorite episode is the. um the universe where they uh superman gets crossed over into like the evil universe and like evil superman like takes his place and it's to this day like it's the reason why i love like alternate universes it's one of the strongest episodes i feel of like that um age of super friends cartoons and um also like evil superman really like mops the floor with the whole like justice league and um the flip side of that is like the Justice League mops the floor with the actual Superman, like the evil Justice League. It's like it's it's totally uh totally fun. Totally it's fun. so but, good. It's so good. But keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I I'll start talking about that forever. But um yeah, so uh from there, like I got into um later I got into comics. So like, you know, when I was just before teens, like like 10, 11, I kind of really started to read comics and so like superman comics led to spider-man comics um and then you know uh, in the 90s like all the cartoons were kind of happening and then you know the x-men show happened and it was like you know really kind of transformative for me like i'm i'm even only truly realizing this lately like how much of an impact the show had on me um but i mean it was just just huge and um so like I always knew that I wanted to do comics. I didn't really, I never actually considered anything but comics. So, um, you know, growing up, I got into like my first year of college and then um, my first summer job was doing caricatures at uh, Six Flags in Maryland. And so while I was there doing caricatures, <clears throat> um, I met some people that were into like actually creating like indie comics. And so I started doing indie comics. Um, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I um, created a studio with uh, my best friend, Brian Turner um, and um, and Joe Jaro. And uh, they're, all, they're all comic artists in, in animation today. And um, we started doing our own books, started doing conventions and um, really kind of pressing to like, like break in heavy into the industry and we we saw some success um like i said we did um you know with boom studios we did fanboys versus zombies i did uh loki ragnarok and roll oh um fanboys versus zombies i did with um with uh sam um and uh, i know he was just on the show yeah sam humphreys uh, yeah sam humphreys yeah. uh he was just on the show recently he's like a good friend of mine like i, I love him to death and um, so I did like Bill and Ted's uh, something, something. I forget what the subtitle was, <laughs> but I did a bunch of stuff with Boom and then um, did some stuff with IDW and Archie and, you know, like a lot of independent kind of stuff here and there and um, tons of cons. But, you know, the money just wasn't great. And so, you know, we were moving forward in our careers and then, you know, we started doing San Diego Comic Con and, um you know, at, at San Diego, the, um, all the the big like uh, animation studios are there, 
And so for the first time, I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. And so I started sending them portfolios. And then within like a year or two, I moved into um, animation and uh, doing storyboards. And, um, you know, that is what led me to, to Marvel and um, doing working on X-Men. So you talked about the influence the X-Men cartoon had on you as an adolescent uh, and reflecting back as an adult who is working on that cartoon now. Tell me a little bit about that journey of of uh, realizing the impact it might have had. So, I mean, it's, it's like such a big deal. Like, um, you know, I, I can remember um, just being amazed at the, uh, I guess, the quality of the show. I was amazed at the action, the stories. Um, you know, particularly, I feel like that first couple of episodes, they aired like a bunch before the actual season got going. So I was like really familiar with it. And like they, you know, they killed Morph. There was just all this like excitement happening and, um, you know, really kind of fell in love with the characters through the show. And then um, even my wife, like when I first met her in, in high school, like <clears throat> I met her in art club. And the the reason why I met them was because like uh, I was sitting there drawing, like literally drawing stuff. And they were like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And like X-Men was, you know, really exciting at the time. And they were like, oh, my God. She was like, oh, my God, can you draw me a rogue? And so I did like right there on the spot. And, um, you know, she fell in love with me that day. And we've been together like ever since. So that's like a super cool X-Men story. But um you know just like i think working on a show is just like it's it's this incredible like full circle um kind of thing that you never even imagine is possible i mean like who would have thought they were going to bring it back and then that like they would ask me to work on it you know like this this particular version of the x-men so um it's it's incredible and it's something that I still kind of like pinch myself about and like you guys can see like in my in my background I've got like all these X-Men like <laughs> back here like so many um so it's you know it's just a, a really it's been a really big part of my life like particularly the 90s kind of X-Men is um you know sort of where I hang my hat and I was reading those comics at the time too so it was just like this huge deal I'm oversimplifying as I say this, but you know, the 60s had the X-Men, which didn't do super well sales-wise. There's a couple great stories and a couple, eh, which is what we've been spending a lot of time on this podcast on over the last 18 months. And then uh, Claremont, right? Like we have Giant mm -hmm. Size X-Men number one launching in the mid 70s. And I feel like we had this epic long run where it just dominated the industry mm -hmm. until Claremont left it well or was ousted in the early 90s. And then the cartoon. The cartoon is like the next generation of listeners. I'm in my mm -hmm. 40s. That was kind of the big heyday. I, I even worked in a comic book shop back then. And everybody was all about the X-Men. And they would go back and read all the Claremont stuff, which is what yeah. seeded all of the cartoon stuff. Then we had the movie generation, right? We had the yeah. uh, the first film coming out. And now their X-Men seem to be having another big revival. Like people are kind of all over these characters in a way where things are easier to find now. We're on the internet, people can get yeah. what they want to look for. And they, they, uh, they go into these stories that are classic that we've been reading for years. 
uh, and still matter. These characters have been around 60 years now. Uh, question for each of you. Uh, what was the first comic book, uh, first X-Men book you ever remember picking up? For me, the first one I purchased and brought home was X-Force number 27, which was the Mutant Liberation Front. Uh, Tempo quits the team uh, and uh, becomes, and Farrell, Farrell leaves the, uh, the, the X-Force team. I, th that was uh, indelible for me. I was like, oh, these things happen in these books. This is exciting. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll go first. I think the my first X-Men book was probably um, one of those Fatal Attractions books with like the hologram cover. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think it's the one where Magneto shows up at the school and the X-Men are like chilling. And I remember this like two page spread of like Magneto just sort of descending on the team and they're all like frozen and um you're talking about that. you're talking about uh uncanny, uncanny x-men 304 which is the funeral of iliana rasputin yeah it's gorgeous yeah. it's a gorgeous book yeah yeah i mean it's just like it it really uh it really hit me in the face um and i i think again like my introduction to the team was through the cartoons so at that time the comics really looked very similar to the things that were happening in the cartoon so i was just like riveted and then it, there was that extra sort of you know comic book adultness that was sort of going on and then you know later wolverine gets his adamantium ripped out his whole thing which is nuts uh and then let's go steven and caroline what was your first one you ever brought home do you remember yeah i actually do i immediately remembered i i loved fatal attractions and executioner song but i saw those in stores you know the first comic I ever brought home was a Joe Matarera um, X-Men issue with, uh, it was, I distinctly remember because the phalanx were in it, but the phalanx were so different from how they were in the 90s animated series. It was the 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 real phalanx, or at least what we thought were the real phalanx at the time, which do bear more of a resemblance to Hickman's new phalanx. And Bishop and Deathbird were in like a really hot relationship and they were all in space and Rogue and Gambit was there. Um I, I just remember that being a, a wild time because I had picked it up expecting it to look like, you know, the cartoon. And it was this like manga influenced, like really like stylized art and just like really interesting designs for everything that looked so different from anything I'd seen before. And it was this like horror story in space. And I just like fell in love immediately. That series was so dope. I loved it. And Joe Mad's like one of my favorites. So Joe Mad is um, one of my favorites. It's so great to yeah, hear you say absolutely. that. <laughs> love it. Uh, Deathbird's dating Sunspot now. She has a thing for like dark skin, buff space mutants. <laughs> She's super into that. <laughs> Caroline, same question. Um, my very first one was Wolverine number 50, um, codenamed Wolverine. And the thing that drew me to that book was the the cover caught my eye. You know, I was in the, the mall with my mom. She was doing her clothes shopping and I was just kind of browsing the magazine section. We didn't have any comic book stores really at the time. So it was just like whatever few comic books they had there. And it just caught my eye. It looked like a service record book for like military people and had that big slash mark, you know, his three claws um, slash through it and everything. So I decided to pick it up. And I don't remember. It's been so long since I actually read it. So I don't remember a whole lot of it. But I do remember Wolverine himself, his whole attitude, his aggressiveness, his, you know, it, it just kind of caught me, you know, like it, it, it drew me in because that's how I was kind of at that age. I was kind of the, I don't know, I wouldn't say like the angry kid maybe, but but kind of. I was always the girl that was kind of ready for a fight, like waiting for something to, to happen. I was, you know, 
that's why I also liked like one of my favorite Ninja Turtles was Raphael. Mm-hmm. He was always kind of the hot headed, you know, character as well. And and then I followed Wolverine to um I found out he was part of a whole team, you know, the X-Men, and that's where I followed him there, you know, X-Men number one when Jim Lee first came on and everything, and that's how it happened. <laughs> so you can tell a lot by about someone by who their favorite ninja turtle is. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the hothead anymore, so I have evolved you know, since then. <laughs> Raphael's the uh the, he's the original he's the one that doesn't conform that tells me a ton I love that <laughs> uh Jerry I've been following you on uh Instagram and Twitter for a long time your art is just stunning it's uh it's cartoony but not I don't know the right way to describe it but it's indelibly yours when I look at your work I can tell it's your work you post uh all over all over Instagram especially in recent months these kind of like character profile shots where you you give us uh, like the body, the head, the side view. Uh, and it's just beautiful. And seeing your work with these different characters, big flowing hair, like sharp jawline. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really pretty. How would you describe your art? Uh, and when did you first start drawing? Uh, I first started drawing when I was <clears throat> probably about four years old. So like um, Superman stuff and, um, you know, every, everything that was going on in the 80s, I was like super into it. So those things are like super heavy influences. Um, I, the way I describe my art is, um, you know, I don't really know. It is, it, it's definitely cartoony. And I, I, I learned to embrace that. Like I think um, earlier in my career, it was seen as like this sort of like really negative thing, but I, <laughs> I was gonna show some, but the light's too weird in here. Yeah, <laughs> but um, like I really, I really, really love animation. I really love cartoons. I really, you know, like I think the thing that excites me about comics and animation is that you know it's free. Like in terms of like an art form, it can be like whatever you want. Um, you know, so I'm I'm heavily influenced on um, kind of like the stuff from the '80s, right? So it's it's my stuff is like based like the the base of it is like from the 80s from guys like uh jose luis garcia lopez um and then you know it goes forward you know so like there's this heavy like jim lee um and joe mad influence like that kind of sounds weird um you know and then now like i'm even more influenced by anime but i'm but it's you know still like those artists that i loved in the 80s really kind of anchor my taste um that probably sounds really weird to to with words explain my art style but i i think i think that's kind of it and i I think you know i'm always looking to to really have um as dynamic work as i can like i'm always really focused on making like artwork that i think five-year-old me would really kind of enjoy uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about like the Joe Mad and Jim Lee stuff uh, influenced your art because I can absolutely see that. I had a really fun time looking through all your designs. Um, <laughs> like it, it lends itself so uniquely to animation because it feels like everybody has their hair blowing in the wind. It feels like everybody has just completed an action and is about to start another one. Like it's really cool. It's really stylish. I got to say the thing that stood out to me the most is you draw people with hot hair. 
like just sexy hair. <laughs> um, I, I stopped scrolling when I saw Magneto and I like dissociated for a little while and I came back to my body and I was like, wow, that was really cool. Yeah, Magneto's hair, just incredible. Wolverine's hair, I I don't know. I was like, this better not awaken something in me looking at Wolverine's hair. That, that one it's phenomenal. And I just wanted to ask, like you mentioned all these other people from the 80s, but are you by any chance an Alan Davis fan? Because you have Alan Davis level like drawing hot oh. hair. Um, you know what? I never, uh, I like Alan Davis. I never, I never really thought about that. I'm sure, I'm sure it's in there. You know what I mean? Like he has like that really sort of classic kind of look. Um, I think like with these particular designs that you're talking about, like I really set out to say, I want to do sexy X-Men. Right. You did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. I, I was really trying to do like, make a statement about the team and like how I kind of, I kind of see them as sort of like these like rock stars. And um, I wanted to really put that in there. And hair is one of those things that I think says a lot about a character. Um, and then it's also a place where you can really kind of have fun. So like, I, I, I also like drawing capes because they're super expressive. And so, you know, they really kind of add flair to a design. I think the the only character in this, group that i drew recently is jubilee that i i wasn't she's the character that i wasn't thinking like let's sex her up um because she's like a teenager so but everyone else you know magneto gambit rogue like everybody else is as sexy as i can make them yeah i love the the you have a strong sexy and kind of edgy vibe you know to a lot of your characters and i especially love being a psylocke fan you know i especially loved that pose, that action pose, you know, because she's already sexy enough as it is in that costume, you know, so you don't really need to add any more to that. So you managed to make her both sexy and like this powerful character and, and the action pose that you did was amazing. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like I, um, that one was really fun to draw and I, I really, uh, I like the character um visually and i i really didn't want to try to over like uh play up the the sexual sort of aspect of her costume in that drawing like that was just like action like you know Mm -hmm. let's do it um but yeah like i i think i did that for um like asian american pacific islander uh month yeah i I did yes i was really excited about that one thanks I've never been a big Jubilee fan, but I've had two Jubilee <laughs> moments in my life in recent months. Uh, Steve Fox used her in his X-Men 92 series mm-hmm. and described her as there are characters that are just trapped in the moment they were created. She is forever mm-hmm. the 1992 mall chick. And I'm like, yeah, OK, that like helped me understand her in a different way, weirdly. Uh, and then I recently heard uh, Steve Orlando during a live panel talk about when he was a teenager watching X-Men and the opening scene Jubilee's sitting on the couch eating popcorn and thinking about how the world hates her. And he's like, I can definitely relate to that character. <laughs> and I'm like, All right, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit, uh, Jerry, about the uh, the recruitment to X-Men 97. And uh, I would love to, I know you cannot share much because things are still mm. so early, but uh, what's it been like working on this team uh, with so many people invested in these characters? Um, The team is amazing. Like I, I love everyone that I work with. It's um super creative. Um, you know, everyone loves the X-Men like just as much, if not more, than I do. Um, you know, and I, I think uh 
it's it, it just worked out like really well for me like i i was leaving um blizzard uh working in games for a while and uh through like a ton of different kind of factors sort of merged together and um you know some different people that i know kind of you know were at marvel at the time and um i i had been posting a lot on instagram at the time as well like i did um at that time i think i had done uh myself as cyclops like um i think yeah i had drawn myself as cyclops i challenged my wife and my uh, best friend brian to to draw themselves as x-men too and so i did myself as cyclops like i did a whole sort of design sheet and i think that was kind of going around the internet a little bit and um some people saw that and that that kind of uh greased the wheels to kind of get me in there but uh it's, it's fantastic I, I absolutely love it it's you know like it's a dream job really it's uh it's so fun to consider the idea that all the original voice actors are coming back we're seeing so much talent and love put into all of this who uh, and this is for each of you again who are your x-men characters uh nar narrow it down to one hero one villain like who are the people that just speak to you uh that represent you uh anyone want to go first it's tricky are we, to are we talking about, about um in any x-men team any x-men team okay i think it's pretty obvious mine is psylocke Kanone specifically um she's the one that always you know spoke to me because we're so similar in personalities you know like i know right now i, I seem kind of you know the um a little bit peppier i guess um than normal but this is kind of it's different when i'm talking about x-men related stuff you know i i tend to perk up more uh, but <laughs> on ordinary days i am kind of the the girl who sits in the corner and you know just kind of people watches you know and i don't really interact with others that much unless you know, I speak, in, you know, only when spoken to. Um, Caroline's like, I know I'm delightful right now, but most of the time I'm so grumpy. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It takes a lot to get anything out of me for most of the time. But like I said, um, when talking about things I'm passionate about, like like Psylocke and, you know, just X-Men in comics in general and everything. Yeah, I, I do tend to be more interactive. <laughs> so, but um. As far as villains go, right now, um, God, it's a toss-up between Sinister, because I loved how um, he was in Hellions recently. Mm -hmm. He's kind of that flamboyant, you know, kind of like, I'll do whatever I want, <laughs> you know, and forget about the consequences type. You know, choose the scenery at every moment. It's wonderful. Yeah. And then, and especially anytime that nanny is out to get him the whole hellfire gala you know scene where she's like ready to go after him and she's like motherfucker you know like <laughs> trying to stab him that's just yeah i love it. and that's one of the reasons i loved hellions other than zeb wells his, his amazing writing you know um it's a team that isn't exactly like what you imagine the good guys being you know it consists of people who were once considered bad um or in Psylocke's case where she she has done bad things I wouldn't say she's a bad person but she's done bad things for other people you know so she is this kind of like her redemption you know moment ever since she got resurrected and everything um but yeah my other one would be like Cassandra Cassandra Nova 
um, right now she's having her moment in Marauders, you know, and she's kind of like that, that evil, you know, great aunt or whatever you want, great grandmother or whatever you want to call her. But yeah, she's, she's been getting, she's pretty interesting. I didn't really care for her that much before, but now she's, she's on my radar. <laughs> So. I just uh, I just pictured Joan Crawford on the page whenever she's there, and then it just <laughs> yes. comes across for me. <laughs> uh, Steve, how about you? Who are your characters? All right, so my immediate reaction was a total cheat because they're my two favorite characters in X Men anyway, and it was going to be Storm and Magneto for hero and villain. But that's that's a cheat, and I'm not going to call Magneto a villain. I'm a big defender of Magneto. Magneto is my favorite hero in the X Men, uh, especially given recent events, which I don't know if I want to spoil for people who have not yet read it. But literally one of the coolest dudes who's ever lived. An incredibly nuanced and interesting, complicated character. Um, I think one of the most noble and yet shitty dudes that comics has ever <laughs> produced. And I love him to death for it. Magneto will always be my number one and I will go to the bat for him every time. As for my favorite villain right now, I'm glad you brought up uh, Hellions, Carolyn, because uh, Tarn the Uncaring. Oh is... my God, yes. Tarn the Uncaring is the most frightening he they I have ever seen in a comic. Just terrifying, uh, scary, uncanny. I don't know. I'm running out of words to describe him that aren't just synonyms for terrifying. But like, he he is sexy. He is sassy. He is. Right. Yeah. He gets under your skin in like the grossest, but also like cleverest ways. Um, just like a character I could read over and over and over and over. I don't know if any writer will be able to do Tarn justice the way that Zeb Wells did, but I look forward to seeing like resurrections of that character. I look forward to seeing more done with that character if it ever is, but just like Tarn the uncaring gone too soon from this world. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. He, he's shit. <laughs> I just, uh, I, in preparation for an upcoming Patreon episode, I just read Excalibur volume three, number 14, which is a Claremont story right after the Genosian massacre. That's there's there's a line from Professor X, which was super insightful. I was thinking he he was talking about how when he was 18, he was off to college and like living this particular life. But when Magneto was 18, he was dragging bodies into the, the furnace pits uh, during during the uh, the camp and just what that does to a psyche. Just a brief thought. It was a really fascinating thing to just sit and consider that aspect of character. It was uh, it was great. Uh, Jerry, who are your go to characters? Um, yeah, I think, <clears throat> yeah, this is probably going to sound like, <laughs> I'll just say it. Um, I love Cyclops and, um, I think Wolverine sort of equally. And, um, I also, I'm going to throw Iceman in there as well. Just, I think like, I've always just liked the character, but I'll, <clears throat> for the sake of, uh, answering the question, I'll just, I'll stick with Cyclops. Like, I just like him. I think. I, I like leadership characters. I think um like I think Cyclops kind of gets a bad rap. Um I know I haven't read like the full breadth of Cyclops' <laughs> experience, but I I just know the way I see the character and I I just see him, you know, as this sort of like um strong um guy who's sort of kind of carrying the world on his shoulders trying to trying to do the right thing and trying to look out for the uh his teammates and his family um and he just looks cool he just <laughs> looks cool 
Um, Cyclops is and, one of those characters people seem to have very strong feelings either for or against. Definitely. And I've also noticed we're, we're talking a lot about Havoc on the podcast. I've also noticed people that love Cyclops hate Havoc and people that love mm -hmm. Havoc hate Cyclops. It's an interesting yeah. thing. <laughs> I'm the opposite because I am a huge Cyclops guy and I love Havoc as you know, but I also love to hate <laughs> Havoc. So there's that. <laughs> Complicated relationship with Havoc, uncomplicated relationship with Cyclops. Yeah. Uh, how, how about villains? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Magneto. I think um, his, I just relate to Magneto. I think, um, you know, the whole mutant X-Men world is just this allegory for, like, <clears throat> um, you know, other, right? And so, like, I have, you know, I just see it, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I see Magneto's point of view, and I get it. You know, it's like I'm for me, like I'm I'm definitely like a good guy, like through and through, like always. But um, the thing is, is that Magneto has seen he's just seen it. You know what I mean? He's seen people go and do these terrible things, you know, in the name of like, I don't know, justice or like whatever else. And I get his point of view. And I think that you know generally and not not you know like everything that's going on in the comics now like it's kind of different but i like i'm kind of thinking of these sort of like archetypal um sort of positions that that people sort of know of the characters and i just feel like um in general like the way professor x sees things is a little naive like it's a little naive not super naive and that like the, the true answer is like somewhere in between Magneto and Professor X, but it's it's probably closer to what Magneto thinks than what Professor X thinks. Uh, neither is fully right. One of them yeah. will erase your mind and the other will murder you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As we yeah. now know, Apocalypse was right. <laughs> the correct position. I'm going to answer the same question, but I reserve the right to when my whenever my kids ask me, like, what's your favorite color, favorite food? I, I'm like, I'll answer in the moment that I am existing in, in that moment because it changes consistently. If I had to choose my favorite characters at this moment, my favorite X-Men is Caliban. Who is the the, the Morlock the Morlock Horseman guy who can like smell mutants everywhere? I have such a love for him, uh, and I got to read some comics with him today. Uh, <laughs> he, he's a great character, and my favorite villain. This is a weird answer, but earlier today I recorded a Patreon episode with Josh Trujillo about Porcupine, who technically isn't even an X Men villain. He's an old like ridiculous '60s like Avengers villain who uh who just wants to make something of himself and dies so pathetically in the 80s and he's just on my brain today because i feel so sorry for him so he's he's my character for for today uh i i already know the answer from steve for this but uh jerry and caroline have you guys read the 60s books before a lot of people start with claremont or start with the cartoon but have you gone back to the early stuff before this is my first one i think i've read i don't uh, i don't even know if i've read x-men number one um, so I think this is my first one. You picked a good one. This is this is Adam. Yeah. When Adams comes in, it's good. There's a lot of nonsense before. <laughs> Caroline, how about you? I've read some, um, but not a whole lot. No, I, I pretty much kind of stuck to the '90s on, you know, to to present day. Um, but yeah, there's certain things. You know, I've, I've the older stuff I've read was like mostly like the Dark Phoenix Saga and um, 
the one, the very first one where they're going to Krakoa to save the other X-Men team. Giant size, sure. Um, giant size, yeah. yeah. And and God, those might be the only ones that I recall anyways right now. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are indelible, and that's where it starts getting good. But this stuff that we're in today is a lot of fun. Uh for you, Magnet. Oh, I did read Days of Future Past. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I gotta read that. I definitely gotta read that. It's 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 it like it's it's good. It's solidly yeah. really good. What's your time? Yeah, go back and go back and read it. Uh, we just had a we had a moment in the issue before this one. We're doing number fifty-eight or fifty-nine. I mean, we in fifty-eight. There's this like rapey bad guy named Mesmero that we just like ripped to shreds on my podcast in a recent trial that we hosted. Uh, God, he's a terrible like rapey mind control guy. But there's a moment where the Sentinels come for him and he's got Magneto at his side and he's like, Magneto, save me. And the Sentinels smash Magneto and he's like, no, the Magneto I've been serving this whole time was a robot. <laughs> it's, it's so delicious. And then the Sentinel picks him up by his cape and just like pulls him away because his mind control doesn't work on Sentinels. So you guys almost got Magneto in this issue. <laughs> almost, almost. Um, so I want to ask uh, a lot of your opinions on uh, art and story structure as we're going through this uh, today. But how fun to just hang out with uh, new friends and nerd out. I love meeting adult people who embrace their passions. And when your passion is the X-Men, it's my favorite thing to just sit down and uh, and talk yeah. to everybody. Uh, Jerry, I want to ask one more question, if it's okay, about the cartoon coming up. Is this, if you're allowed to say, and you can pass if you're not, is the cartoon mm -hmm. directly continuing from the original cartoon or is it a reinterpretation of the old series? You know, I don't think I can say. I, I don't think I, I can specifically answer it. I think um, if you kind of look up the all the promotional stuff like that they've put out, I think, you know, you can you can see like the the character designs look super duper close to the original show. So I think that's that's about as close to an answer as I can really give. Absolutely fair. And I don't <laughs> believe they've given us a release date yet at this point, correct? Uh, 2023 is okay. all they've put out. Are you working in studio or from home? Um, from home, and I mean everybody's, you know, most animation is still working from home. Sure. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe I've heard like Warner Brothers is kind of like, you know, dipping their toe into people going back sometimes. Um, but yeah, most most of animation itself is still happening from home. So like, this is my my um, drawing tablet right here my Wacom so right now I'm sitting in my workspace I uh I have a home office uh this is my husband's home office I'm hiding in the basement because he's entertaining guests upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I spend a lot of time in my home office and you mentioned your wife is an artist as well is she working in art currently yeah yeah she um she is doing a graphic novel like one of the um young teen uh like young teen graphic novels for DC right now. And um, she's done books for like little golden books. And she's, she works in um, uh, like previs or not previs, um, excuse me, um, uh, concept design for, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, different uh, animation projects. So yeah, she's definitely a, a wonderful artist. That's so cool. I think it's amazing yeah. if you're doing that together. Do you guys have any kids? No, we don't have any kids. We um we have a puppy, Adora, and we we usually have dogs, but our, our older dogs passed away like in the last um like right before the pandemic. And so we just got a new puppy. 
Um, Her name, uh, my wife's name is Penelope Gaylord, by the way. I, okay. I don't want to just be saying my wife. Like, that sounds, that sounds weird. I don't want it to seem like I'm like I'm not saying her name for some reason. And she's, she's, like, she's like, you mentioned the dog's name, but not mine. Come on. <laughs> yeah, she like the the funny thing is she's like super duper talented. Like if you if you check out her Instagram, like she's amazing. I will look um, her up. She sounds incredible. Out, yeah, when we were when we're doing conventions, usually at least once per convention someone will like break down in tears because they got to meet her and like see her art in person it's pretty crazy nobody has ever cried for me at a con there is time for that today uh, i'll bring the tears <laughs> next time <laughs> he cries a lot <laughs> i'll remember when i see you at a con to start falling all right so the issue we're working on today uh, is not specifically selected for anyone. It, it just kind of when we schedule, you get the issue that we're reviewing that day. But this is a great one. We uh, we have so much fun and there's a lot of density to this one. So let's jump in. This is X-Men number 59. It's from August 1969. It's got the delightful 60s title of Do or Die, Baby, which is like so like late 60s uh, phraseology. <laughs> this is a Roy Thomas, Neil Adams, uh, Tom Palmer work. Again, uh, both Neil Adams and Tom Palmer have both passed away just this year. Uh, Sam Rosen is on letters, Stanley on inks. The five-page backups are finally done. We're into full, gorgeous Neil Adams work. Uh, and uh, let's start on the cover. We've got an incredible, like, full body shot of Cyclops looking a little bit torn. You know it's a boy because only his shoulder is exposed. If it was a girl, all the clothes would be shredded except for just enough to cover the uh, the private parts. <laughs> Cyclops is in his classic uniform. Uh, his, his cowl is ripped off, his shoulders ripped. He's blasting some sentinels that are coming at him from kind of a smoky uh, horizon. And it says the last X-Men across the bottom. This is not a thing that quite happens in the book, but the stakes are high. The Sentinels are big. They're very scary. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this cover, you guys. Um, you know what? I I am I really love Neil Adams' artwork. Like I, it's like the like I'm breaking ground there. Like, but um, I I love the cover. Like honestly, it feels so comic booky to me in a way that comic books are not comic booky these days. Um, like I love the the words on the cover, like the last X-Men. I love, you know, the like everything about Cyclops's gesture, like the sentinels kind of coming at him. Um the like it's it just screams like comic books. He's like even sitting on like a busted sentinel head, the colors, the contrast, like this, like this is comics to me. I didn't even notice the busted sentinel head. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice that somehow. Uh, Stephen Caroline, any thoughts on the cover? Yeah, yeah I love... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I really love the composition of this cover. It's one that, like... I don't know, X-Men covers are interesting because for a long time they weren't interesting and then kind of suddenly they start doing experiments with the form and with the form of comic book covers in general and i feel like this one this is such a weird thing to say so bear with me but like this came so many years before and neil adams is a genius in his own right but i feel like this cover prefigures a lot of like john romita jr's really good covers during the claremont run sure. yeah uh, a lot of them really have you know like cyclops in a super dramatic pose or like a just <clears throat> like a uh, body gestures that are like evocative of pain or anguish. And then like the beam shooting across with the, the title slanting 
across the bottom of the page. It's just, it's so well put together. It's jumbled. It gives a sense of chaos and it doesn't quite break the X-Men logo with Cyclops's optic blasts, but it feels like it's, it feels like it's saying this could happen soon. You know, this, uh, this is the final seven or eight issues of X-Men and it gets so good all the way to the end. We're getting ready to go back to the Savage Land. Sauron, the Savage Land mutates. Sunfire comes in. There's an alien invasion. Professor X is back from the dead. The Hulk shows up and then the book is canceled. So there's a lot packed into these next seven issues or seven or eight issues. It's amazing. Uh, but let's focus in on this one. Wait, Caroline, what were your thoughts on the cover? Um, yeah, I loved how back, back in the sixties, a lot of their covers, um, they kind of give you that feel of what's going to be happening, what to expect in the upcoming, in that, in that issue. Whereas opposed to like nowadays, I, I kind of noticed, um, it seems like they only have the members doing some sort of action thing that doesn't really have anything to do with the storyline. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes you'll even see characters that are on the cover just, just to be on there, but they're not even in that book. Like yeah. I remember specifically like Ant-Man having Psylocke on the cover with a bunch of arrows in her back and she's not even in the book at all. And I still bought it <laughs> you know? just because of the cover. But um, yeah, so that's one thing I, I like about it. It kind of geared, it, it um, prepares you for what's, what's to come, you know? This cover gives me almost like zombie apocalypse vibes. Like the Sentinels like, oh, like climbing over it. He's, he's trying to fight his way free. It's, uh, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like I, I totally agree with Carolyn. Like I, I absolutely love that you can kind of get an idea of what's going to happen uh, in the book. But I also love how the the desperation of the cover, like yeah, it, it feels like it's over for Cyclops. Like they're they're definitely going to get him. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's weird to see Cyclops without his cowl on a cover too. Like he has he has the head yeah. covering back then. Uh, yeah, so he has, he has his hair out the whole issue. It feels like Neil Adams was like he just looks better with the hair out. <laughs> Nobody would figure that out again until Jim Lee. <laughs> so Caroline, uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll pause you along the way as we kind of offer commentary and story ideas. But will you take the first five pages for us? Tell us what happens. Tell us some of your thoughts. What you loved or hated. Uh, give us a summary of uh, of what takes place in this wonderful book. All right. So the first five pages, we show Hank, Scott, and Gene. They're looking through this portable cerebro, like their little mini cerebro, looking for other mutants that were captured already. So they're trying to go and rescue them. Um, Hank thinks because they they saw a signal. However, Hank reveals that he thinks it's a trap, and of course he's right because right after he mentions that there's a big explosion, they manage yeah, <laughs> and they manage to escape and start free falling. Jean tells Scott she can't possibly save all of them, and he yells, "Forget about him!" You know, and me like Hank, like it's like woman, you better save me first, you know. And so you know, like there's a whole emphasis on just save us. So um, then it turns out this whole time it wasn't Scott being like, oh, just through Hank. You know, he actually had a plan, you know, that it wasn't just about sacrificing Hank. So what he had was he had Gene project a levitational field right beneath Hank at the last second before impact. So he's all good. Um, and the, the sound effect when Hank lands is boom. Uh, <laughs> you got to wonder, is Cyclops trying to just show them up? Because Gene could have done this for all of them. They could have all plummeted out of the sky and then been saved at the last second by Gene's telekinesis. But instead, <laughs> he's like, Gene, save you and I, and let's watch Hank freak out until <laughs> we save him at the last second. I'm trying to yeah. figure out what he's doing here. It feels like <laughs> definitely the vibe I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is going to be great. <laughs> this is going to be great. 
revenge <laughs> like he did something wrong oh be- beast exists that's enough yeah, yeah. Say, that's what he did wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then, keep going sorry to interrupt no that's fine and then um the next page we show um larry trask he's shown he's in the grips of a sentinel who keeps calling him a mutant and he's that's, at this point larry still has no idea that he's even a mutant you know, because of this medallion, this huge freaking medallion that he's wearing that his dad put on him. He had his dad had it made by these scientists to kind of suppress his powers and his powers. Um, he's a clairvoyant. You know, they mentioned at the age of five, he was he predicted his mom's death up to the very hour that she was going to die. Um, so, yeah, the, the medallion blocks not only his powers, but he erases his memories, which. I guess erases his memories of even wearing that medallion. Because how do you not question why am I wearing this ugly thing? You know? We see we see a scene in the previous issue where it flashes back to Bolivar Trask dying, and he hands Larry a, a a necklace and basically says, "Like, please promise me you'll wear this forever and never take it off." Uh, the Sentinels are yours now, son. Is basically kind of what happens. We see this followed up on as, uh, as as well in. Do you guys remember when they did the flashback month at Marvel? All the all the issues were like minus one. This was like in the late '90s. So there's an issue called Uncanny X Men minus one that shows some of Bolivar and Larry's interactions pre uh, pre X Men number one, which is interesting. Oh. And it brings this amulet up as well. But Larry's revealed as a precog. This is the first mutant precog that we know about. Destiny mm-hmm. and Blindfold would follow, but this is the first one. Hmm. It's like those gifts that those relatives give to you. They're so ugly that you have to like hide them and only bring them out when they're coming to visit though. I would not <laughs> wear that. I don't care what my parents say. I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> it was the seventies though. Like you're forgetting. Yeah. He was like, he was like, yo, this is fly. <laughs> he was like, this is it. It could have been like, like a little shift flame, on his temple. It's, yeah, it's like a big old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve, will you describe Larry Trask's style for us? I kind of thought you'd be into his look. Larry Trask's style? I, I was looking at him and I was like, this, yeah, this is actually pretty stylish. He looks a little bit like he's wearing the world's largest puka shell necklace <laughs> so i feel like when i look at larry trask i'm like this guy looks like he's about to tell me about transcendental meditation and i don't know like he's just really gotten into crystals lately and i don't know he's he's a he's a very 90s character for a character who appeared in 1969 in my in my personal <laughs> estimation uh, it's it's interesting the clothes themselves are a good look if they had different colors but back then all they had was beige and tan so <laughs> Uh, Caroline, keep going for us. Okay, so um, let's see. So yeah, so he had the medallion. His dad had the medallion made, you know, to suppress his powers and everything. And he was afraid that other mutants would learn about his secret, Larry's secret. So he tried to have them all imprisoned. After Boulevard died, um, Judge Chalmers continued Boulevard's uh, mission. And then the Sentinels you know, they discovered will only obey Larry's last command as a human, which was to secure all mutants in, in the area and destroy them. So the second that Judge Chalmers took the medallion off of Larry, that's when the Sentinels are like, oh, wait a minute, like, you're not human. Screw you, we're not listening to your, you know, commands any longer. You know, we're just going to follow the last one where we thought you were a human. So um, that's when the Sentinels put Larry to sleep and lock him up. So that was where 
page five ends. Well, except we learn at the very bottom of the page, they have captured Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Toad as well. Uh, so they, they're continuing to round up mutants. Okay, okay. We have to talk about Sentinel number two for just a minute. This is the, this is the Sentinel. He's like 10 feet tall. He's talking to Larry. And I think that he's supposed to have like a robot voice, right? Like his first line is, you substitute emotion for logic, mutant. But then in my brain, it turned to like C-3PO, where he's like, you substitute emotion for logic mutant <laughs> and then somehow that morphed into him being like the sassiest drag queen i've ever heard and now that's the only <laughs> thing i can hear because he's really sassy through this whole issue he's like you substitute emotion for logic mutant and like everything he says is dripping with sarcasm the library is open like rupaul style he's reading everyone for filth through the whole issue so we're going to bring him up so like he, he, Larry says to him, like, my father created you Sentinels. And he goes, then it's unfortunate for you, mutant, that he did not create us capable of pity. And like his voice is just <laughs> ripping with sarcasm. He's amazing. Everything he says is just sheer savage. <laughs> I don't know if you guys felt the same, but I love him so much. Chad, did I think you like when he says, you have said enough, mutant, and then literally goes talk to the hand. Yes, he like sprays him in the face, like, you're done. Goodbye now. The library is closed. I don't know why. I think it's because I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who lately, but I've been, I couldn't get the voice of the Daleks out of my head. I uh, We're going to get there at the end of this issue, but I believe that this Sentinel has been programmed to be like the biggest drama queen. He, it's, it's part of his core directives to be like, we'll, again, we'll get there to what happens to the Sentinels, but I blame this guy. He, he is sheer drama and he is just loving every moment of this. He's like, let's kill mutants, but also we're going to look fabulous and I'm going to read you for filth. <laughs> I love him. Very concerned with the siren call of logic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and his name is just number two. Okay, so I'm going on. I'm going to keep going on page six. Uh, we also learned that the Sentinels have captured more mutants, and I'm going to read because this is number two talking. While elsewhere, Eunice has proved not completely untouchable. Mastermind's illusions were useless against us, and the monumentally massive blob was moved by anti-gravity devices. He's like reading all three of these mutants for filth. He's he's saying like how ineffective each of them were. He's even like making a, a weight joke about blob along the way. This was unnecessary. He just wanted, <laughs> he just hates mutants. He goes, oh, we, we go over and we see uh, Judge Chalmers is looking at all the mutants who are being held captive, including Havoc in his brand new suit, which was designed by Larry Trask. I don't know if you guys knew that. Havoc's classic uniform is designed by the, the, the son of the Sentinel maker. We have this crazy cool image that it shows like the Sentinel radar. It's I like, love this image. I was weird. staring at it while reading this issue. It looks like a magic eye puzzle, like where you have to like unfocus your eyes to see what's behind it. It's like black, yellow, red, and it looks like a face. And they're, they're figuring out that there are more mutants there uh, because Cyclops, Gene and Beast are all climbing like a mountain interface. This reminded me of like the Wizard of Oz where like they're scaling the the witch's castle from outside. I don't know if you guys remember that scene mm -hmm. where the, the green guards are outside marching. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, before we go, before we go forward, the that whole like sentinel like screen thing, like I know, like I don't know if you guys like think about this, but like drawing comics, I'm like, so like I would find like a filter to do this. But like he drew this, and um, the first thing I thought was, how did he do this? 
it's such like, a simple construction, but it like like it's literally just a square that he extrapolated into like a square grid and then a circle that he extrapolated into concentric rings, but they're getting bigger as they go, and the effect is just it blows me away. It's, it's so a, difficult to it's draw really cool a circle and then yeah. to put it like because the all the circles like you know like they they like you said they grow out of the original circle so like they're all like perfect and they fit like yeah. again and again and again and i'm just like i would never i would never choose to draw that like he <laughs> he made that up he was like oh this is what i'm going to do i would have done something completely different every panel of neil adams is incredible it's yeah. so good uh beast cyclops and gene all sneak into the sentinel headquarters uh, Beast kicks one in the face. Jean helps knock it over with her telekinesis. She's getting tired. She's she just like saved them all from a plane fall, so she's getting <laughs> a little bit worn out. But she still manages to stagger one. One of the Sentinels just punches Beast in the face, which always makes me a little happy. I love Beast, but he's incorrigible. He's a lot to handle sometimes. <laughs> and then uh, Cyclops just blasts him. This panel on page eight at the bottom with Cyclops just zapping the Sentinel full strength and the lighting and the way the color is done. We don't even know who the colorist is here. But it's beautiful. Uh, uh, any thoughts on those two pages? Beast kicking the Sentinel, Cyclops blasting them. It's so pretty. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, like, so that the panel where Beast gets slapped, it's like, it's so comic booky. Like, I, it's hard for me to even, you know what I mean? Because, like, the Sentinels themselves kind of change size a little bit depending on the panel. Like, you know, because you can do that in comics, like, just to make it fit. Um, it's just beautiful. The the Sentinels like pose is like really cool. And then um the Cyclops is exactly something that I would draw. Like I like I I love that. Like I love the the dynamics um and uh you know like the lighting and the shadows and the color and the angles the angles he chooses yeah, to use absolutely it's, it's absolutely. gorgeous now uh just quick recap continuity wise if you go back and listen to the pod quicksilver and the scarlet witch were on the avengers for a long time quicksilver started kind of turning more like i'm a mutant and i humans don't deserve me like son of magneto style uh, Wanda lost her powers they rejoined the brotherhood of evil mutants with magneto for a minute Toad ended up turning against Magneto, kicking him into the water. And then he, Scarlet Witch, and, and Quicksilver have been on the run. They, they showed up in an issue of Spider-Man. We covered that a little while back. And uh, this is before, shortly after this, they get kidnapped by Archon the Magnificent in Polymachus. Uh, and uh, it continues back into the Avengers. But the three of them are hanging out right now, and they are now captured. So the X-Men hear that Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Toad are being brought in on a ship captive. They run and find them very quickly and then convince them to change clothes. And I, they didn't have a tailor to alter this because somehow Toad's uniform fits the beast, but it's a great ploy. So Scarlet Witch's hands are behind her back. Uh, Quicksilver's hands are behind his back and Toad's wearing these like iron boots that stop him from jumping or whatever. They switch costumes and then the Sentinel walks in and he's like, wait a second, you're not the ones I brought in. You look different. And then Beast just fucking kicks him in the face and is like... <laughs> these uh these weighted boots you had for the toad were were tough for him but now they're just making my feet even stronger like whack kicks him in with a crack <laughs> right across the jaw uh that takes us up to page 10 any thoughts on the stories or art that you guys would like to share before we keep going i have a lot of questions about the concept of the x-men switching clothes with the brotherhood of evil mutants in like a very quick fashion which to me means that gene gray had to undress before 
both Cyclops and the Beast, which good good lord. <laughs> <laughs> but also that like they had to strip Wanda and Pietro and the Toad, and like we don't see them again for the rest of the issue. Like, where did they go? Did they just no. walk away in the X-Men clothes? Somebody they ran them. away and hid. <laughs> Did they even actually get the X-Men clothes is really the, that's <laughs> yeah, the real question. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, that's, eh, I don't know, Cyclops, he's like, just let him sit. So, you know what? They're running down uh, the hall naked. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, Chad, I didn't realize that um, they were not, like, technically bad guys right now, so maybe that changes how Cyclops is going to react. So maybe he did let them have their clothes. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he did. And Cyclops has to keep his eyes closed in Quicksilver's suit because he doesn't have his visor on. <laughs> yeah. This is true. So he's like, it's fair, it's fine. Uh, what did you think about the costume switch, Caroline? Your X-Men are cosplaying as the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's one of those ones where you kind of have to, like, don't worry about it because, like you said, how does everything fit so perfectly when they're not even the same build or anything you know yeah toad's like, just, a toad's like a little guy and beast is like a big massive like thick wrestler that's the weird one for me yeah i mean maybe everything's just because spanix does tend to you know shrink and expand as you need it but i don't know not quite that much maybe maybe it's like super tight on beast and he's not really giving anything away he's got that camel toe or something not like that <laughs> <laughs> the big the huge wedgie and he's just like sucking it up i don't know <laughs> yeah uh, i think we can just uh, credit it to unstable molecules yeah, <laughs> i was gonna like, say it's fantastic form materials yeah it, what one time the beast wore a rubber face of his own human face over his transformed body <laughs> along with gloved hands and an entire suit and somehow nobody noticed, even though he was very close to them in bright daylight for long periods of time. I think I think Professor X was helping out. It's it's uh, it's defies all logic unless you involve telepathy or an image inducer. We'll I get love to the those. Idea that a dude covered in hair could be wearing a rubber face mask of his own face and come like within three feet of you on a college campus in broad daylight, and you wouldn't run screaming. So this is this is during the Amazing Adventures. Beast is in his human form. He like drinks a potion that turns him like gray and furry. And then he like wears a, a latex human mask over his new furry face so that he can keep working with all his coworkers. He goes on dates with his girlfriend. Nobody notices <laughs> he's a hairy man in a latex mask. It's quite it's quite shocking. It's one of my uh, favorite Marvel comics. I asked I asked Steve Englehart about this on the pod, and he's like, "Yeah, I inherited that story. Like there was nothing." Else about this. <laughs> it's not my fault. Blame Mark Grunwald or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerry, do you want to take us through pages 11 through 15, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so now, like, the X-Men are, like, fully swapped um, into the uh, former Brotherhood of Evil Mutants outfits. And so the Sentinels are like, oh, my God, I, I have no idea what's going on. These guys changed their clothes. I, have, I How can I possibly know what their abilities are, even <laughs> though, you know, Cyclops, like, their hair and stuff, you know, whatever. Don't worry about that. They fooled them. So the X-Men are just, they're getting in here. They're letting them have it. Teamwork is happening. More more Sentinels show up. They're like, oh, snap, mutants, they're free. Get them. And then Beast, like, throws these barrels. And he's like, oh, wait, one of these barrels is going someplace I didn't know it was going to go. And then Jean, she, like, grabs it with her mind and, like, throws it at the stupid Sentinels. They're like, oh, my God, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like. This this page for me is like super cool because we're like really digging into the uh, into the action. I love like the layout and everything. Um, the the different 
sort of um, angles that we're using. Um, I think one of the things that really kind of stands out to me, like from a story kind of standpoint, is that Neil Adams does not, um, he doesn't use like a long shot very much to, to let us know no. sort of what the space is. And I think, um, like, I don't know why that is. I'm not like questioning Neil Adams or anything, but I think sometimes I get a little confused about the space, but um, like the actions and the characters, they're just like, for me, like, this is what comics are all about. So I love it. Love it. Love, he, love it. he has a way of like inserting you right into the middle. You're like on the Sentinel's shoulder or like laying on the floor, looking up at the fight. Like it's amazing the way he does it, but yeah, it can be, yeah. it can be a little disorienting. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and then I think, I think it's here. Um, you know, we kind of talk about Cyclops talk about his uh, lack of more energy from the big blast. Yeah. He's like, later. he's like running out of energy a little bit. Yeah. So like, I didn't know that was a thing that could happen. Like I, so like reading this, I was like, what? Like, it's like a video game. Like he ran out of his, like his super move or something. He so, read by the sun. He recharges in solar in solar energy. That's uh, so like I always kind of knew that, but I didn't I didn't think like oh like if he's inside he's in jeopardy of running out of power. Sure. But so, nowadays nowadays he's got the punch dimension, so he doesn't run out of that. <laughs> so he didn't he did not have the punch dimension at this point. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a super recent retcon. I want to say, and Chad, you would oh, know better than I would. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that that wasn't mentioned in the sixties at all. Okay. All right. So that's that's very very interesting. Um, so before before we go, just so I know, like, does does the sun charging and the punch dimension exist together? Like, does does the sun activate his ability to to access the punch dimension? I wish. I don't think they are correlated, but I do think they both power him up. Okay. So he's oh he can switch. That's kind he of he can go either way. Yeah. All right. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> All right, so then, um, you know, the next page, then, you know, we just smash cut into this um, sort of future premonition that uh, Trask is having. He's like, oh, my God, these mutants, people are dying. I didn't know I was a mutant. How am I going to be a mutant? This is crazy. What's going to happen? And he's like, oh, crap, I'm, like, stuck in this pot. I can't move, but I can move my eyes. So <laughs> somehow... <laughs> I picture his eyes like darting back and forth. And then, so is it the judge character? Is he like a judge or is his first name judge? No, he's a federal judge. His name is Robert Chal Chalmers. Got it. Got it. So the judge, like he, I guess he just happens to look over and he sees Trask's eyes like going bananas back and forth. And he's like, what is happening here? And then he, you know, he gets it. He's like, oh, he's trying to get me to, to look at this funky sci-fi gun and then um you know he, he goes over <laughs> and he, he he grabs the gun and he's like what does he want me to do I, you know it's hard i gotta figure it out you know he's really like racking his brains and then he realizes oh wait he's now he's looking at havoc does he want me to shoot havoc <laughs> he's like i'm a bad guy but i'm you know i'm not willing to go that far that's that's too much I didn't sign up for this. And then we get the smash cut. So we like, we don't know. It's like a cliffhanger. Like, will he, won't he? How is he going to get out of this? Like, what's going to happen? Did you notice, uh, did you notice Havoc's face reflected in the center of his eye? You know what? I, I did. It's like super cool, right? It's so cool. 
that's super cool like neil adams is like always operating on this like you know next level um like again like the the pages layout and then even just like this super duper close-up of the eyes is like super expressive and you know he's telling so much story and this for me like is a small kind of panel you know and then it's also got dialogue in it and so he's he's really managing the space like super well um it makes me wonder like if this was one of those books where they were still doing like the marvel way of um of sort of writing the marvel method comics. yeah they were yeah. they were okay so, yeah so that makes sense so you know he's kind of getting a plot and then you know putting down pictures and then the, the writer is like i guess this goes in this space <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's really cool to me so then um you know we smash cut to uh, what to to the sentinels it's a very slow quicksilver and a, a weirdly running um scarlet witch and he's like surprise mutants i'm here and then, <laughs> then beast is like behind the the sentinel somehow and he's like oh no surprise on you i'm gonna hit you with this undefined like mechanical junk and like knock your whole head off and it's like, like <laughs> such a great time it's like beautiful artwork and then beast is like go this guy's already putting himself back together so these are kind of like super cool sentinels because they can you know repair themselves i think that's that's really neat i don't i don't feel like we see that sort of integrated into the story much in this issue but that's a, that's a cool concept um you'll notice so the beast you'll notice beast took a moment to be like does everyone notice how much better than the toad that i look in his costume by the way <laughs> Which is yeah right <laughs> i'm not sure he's right like toad's costume is weird no matter what but um you know he's he's definitely like yeah look at me i'm uh, i make this look good <laughs> he's desperate not to be confused for the toad by his two best friends who are the only <laughs> I love the toad, but I'm gonna presume that costume does not smell good. Oh no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Oh. <laughs> okay, so wait, so uh, let's see. I think I got two more pages here. So yeah. Um. So from here, like it kind of. I don't know if you guys are or if um the listeners will know any Sailor Moon, but like um in the at the end of like the first big story arc in Sailor Moon, like. <laughs> all the sailor scouts kind of die off one by one um you know leaving sailor moons like you know finish everything off it's super duper dramatic that is what's happening here so each character starts to like peel off and they're like i'll you know i'm the hero i'll, I'll do the heroic thing and and fight off these sentinels while you guys go forward and it kind of also reminds me of like in the animated series where morph gets left behind by Cyclops, like it feels real similar. And it it also kind of goes back to earlier this this um in this issue where they're the X-Men are falling and he's like Cyclops is like save me, don't save Beast. So yeah. you know he's so um, eager to get rid of Beast. Yeah, he's like finally <laughs> that guy's gone. So um so Gene and Scott they're still running and Gene's like but what about Beast? He's like, what about Beast? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, they run into some more Sentinels. And this this part, like, this next panel is, like, super cool. Um, you know, it's just, like, really trippy. Like, Gene is, like, using, like, the full force of her telekinesis. And um, she's, like, really kind of throwing her, her might at the Sentinels. It's super cool. And she also 
speaks as the Scarlet Witch, which I like for me, that's like, you know, she's already dressed as Scarlet Witch. So it feels like a really fun attention to character that she's like really trying to sell it so that Cyclops can continue on the mission while she stays behind to handle the rest of these Sentinels. And um, like, I like while we're reading it, like I'm I'm like feeling it. I'm like, oh, OK, like, you know, this is this is really exciting. Yeah, her trick here is if she pretends to be if she pretends to be Scarlet Witch, then the Sentinels will adapt themselves to Scarlet Witch's power, but they're not ready for her telekinesis. So because they've adapted to the wrong power, she like just knocks them down. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's it's good storytelling. It's good, good writing. Um so then we get into um, I know I know you love this image of Cyclops bursting in and shadow. Isn't that great? Oh man, it's it's fantastic. Like Cyclops is like, boom, I'm here. <laughs> um, and it's really cool. It's like super dark. And so like the only uh real color on this on this panel is like just his, his red visor. And um it's just like really striking. So um I don't have notes for this one because I didn't think this was my page. Yeah, yeah, no, but... <laughs> I, mean, I can help if you'd like. Would you like that? Well, I mean, I, you know, I can I can continue to describe. So, you know, Cyclops, he's he's here, he's made it to the end of the line. As far as he's concerned, it's him. He's the last man standing. So he's, you know, he's gonna put up a good fight. And then um, you know, the the uh sentinel number two is like a mutant bursting into my chamber, self-quarry. Shall I deal with him? Or stop the human. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like this really kind of funny thing. It's super cool. And that, like, I actually hear it as the uh, the Sentinels from the cartoon. And so, like, seeing these Sentinels be so chatty is, like, really trippy for me. I'm like, oh, man, these guys, they just have so much on their minds. And they just want to let you know. Um, but then uh, the judge, you know, he, he he pulls his resolve together and he's like, well, if I got to shoot this guy, I got to shoot him. So he just <laughs> blasts Havoc right in the forehead through his little uh, prison. And then the Sentinel is like, oh, snap, what's happening here? And uh, there you have it. Excellent, excellent summary. Steve, will you take <laughs> five pages for us? Yes, absolutely. So after Judge Chalmers has shot the gun for question mark reasons and awakened <laughs> havoc it seems so weird that that was the plan um <laughs> the sentinel goes to fire on uh cyclops presumably to destroy him as he says he's about to do and instead judge chalmers having a last minute you know change of heart jumps in front of cyclops to take the full blast of a sentinel and doesn't <laughs> immediately die which is just so shocking to me uh, Judge Chalmers amazingly survives being shot by a Sentinel, but uh, the Sentinel starts going into like Asimovian robot mode. Uh, is very upset they broke their first law, which is to protect humans. And uh, I, I love that the Sentinel yells, "Disaster! Disaster! A human has been harmed by a Sentinel." That is using passive voice to really stretch the meaning of that sentence. A Sentinel, a human has been harmed by a Sentinel. Oh, which Sentinel? <laughs> 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 Making it really sound like it was somebody else who was in the room. Also, he's just—he's like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Like that's like, what oh, I hear. It's <laughs> like it's literally the guy in the hot dog suit. Saying, We're all just trying to find the guy who did this. Definitely, and the 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 like that panel, like the Sentinel is like he's totally alive. He clearly has a full <laughs> range of emotions. He's like, 
he's in denial and all that stuff at the same time. That's a scary look at Sentinel. This is like yeah. what Nimrod looks like to me when I saw the yeah, Sentinel yeah, face. Yeah. It's, it's it's frightening. It's screaming. Uh, right after that, we get this like extremely classic Neil Adams posture for Cyclops, which is like <laughs> something that like always bugs me out because I I love Neil Adams. I think he's so good. Uh, his vision is like maybe my definitive vision, the vision from Avengers. Sure, yeah. Uh, but he has this he has this quality where if somebody's doing something that's really hard for them, they will be like hunched over, hands shaking and twitching, sweat running down their face. Scott in this panel looks like he is 50 years old. <laughs> Not a teenager. Uh, but it rules because it's very much the Neil Adams like, I am pushing my body to its breaking point to squeeze out these last drops of optic blasts. And he frees Havoc uh, with a loud, a loud room and uh, Havoc immediately just like let's cry with his horrific catchphrase that he uses all the time with his just cry havoc. And then I, the most of the bottom of this page is excellent because uh, I don't think anybody draws havoc right except for Neil Adams. <laughs> like <laughs> there are some people who do a good job, uh, but like just the way Neil Adams focused on the idea that the suit is like a, a meter for havoc's power. So no matter what angle you're looking at Havoc from, you're always seeing the same sphere of power because it's just it's just the black suit reading his power levels rather than it being something that shoots out of his chest, which I always hate. Um, and just, yeah, I don't know. The energy signature is so like huge and destructive and chaotic. You can almost not tell what's going on on the page without the concentric circles that he loves to draw so much. Amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's I've, huge. It makes Havoc look powerful. I love, like, I'm not, like, a huge Havoc fan. I'm not anti-Havoc, but this costume is, like, it's amazing. Like, it's so simple. So but good. then, like, when he's when he uses his powers, when it's drawn right, like, it just looks epic. Like, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a simple design, and it often looks really stupid from a distance, but then, like, you get the concept of it, and it's it's so cool. And... Other than Neil Adams, a lot of a lot of artists just like forget what the concept is with this beyond looking like a goofy gimp suit. So <laughs> it's it's very nice. Um, on the next page, we get um, Havoc having saved Cyclops from a uh, Sentinel. We get all the other Sentinels huddled around Judge Chalmers because they're actually like putting him back together. I don't know how they do this, but they saved this old man's life from a sentinel blast. And they like, I don't know, they're doing medicine or something. They're just like popping his pieces back in. <laughs> Judge Chalmers realizes that they're ultimately logical beings. Like they're, they're tied to their programming. So he tries to give like a hint to Cyclops to, or does he, you know, to say like logic can defeat them. And Cyclops is just doing this whole thing where he's really caught up in the whole, like, I'm really mad at this villain. He gets like this with Magneto all the time. And it's very funny to see with Cyclops, like other things are going on. Maybe things are more important, but he's just saying they're going defeat, defeat whom judge whom <laughs> like, shaking his hands in rage. It's like, are you trying to give me a hint or you say you can defeat me with their logic? <laughs> Which is it? It's so important to him. But Havoc has to uh, tap him on the back and go, uh, hey, Scott, uh, something's wrong, and I don't know how to contain all this energy. If you look at my chest right here, this graph shows that it's going to be a problem in a second. <laughs> and 
classic Cyclops does not go, Havoc, we got to figure out how to do something for you, buddy. You're my brother. I, I'm so worried about you. He turns right back to something and goes, do you hear that? <laughs> Look what you did. Now we're all going to die. You, me, and him. <laughs> he, he rules. I love this guy. <laughs> and he's just like, he's so caught up in his passions and his anger and his rage at the Sentinels that he's just like, again, with your unholy logic. And this reminds him of what Judge Chalmers was just saying to him. And he finally like gets the idea that if he really wants to defeat these logic bound beings, then he has to use logic. And if he wants to defeat beings bound by kind of goofy comic book sixties logic, then he needs to use kind of goofy comic book sixties logic. Because if there's and one thing we know Psylocke, the Cyclops is amazing at is logic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's a deeply logical character. Some have called him the Spock of comics. <laughs> <laughs> so he turns to the sentinels and says hey sentinel uh hey you gotta you gotta answer me one question before you can destroy me and the sentinel goes okay those are the rules so like what and <laughs> cyclops is like listen you wanted to protect humans from mutants and mutations but all life forms even humans are the result of mutation and i'm like all right buddy i'm with you for you know you're pretty solid at this point you know not not terribly wrong and then uh, Cyclops says, thus you can only protect human life by finding and neutralizing the source of that mutation. Do you hear me, Sentinel? And I'm willing to cut Scott so much slack because Scott is, he says later in this issue that he doesn't know what the Sentinel's going to do. He didn't know, he doesn't know what the source of all mutation is. He's just like, you know, whatever. I just thought he'd, I'd get him off our backs, you know, and that's classic thinking. He can have a, think he can have a back. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. They were, a, they were in a jam. Yeah. Hey, guess what? If, if you want to beat me, you got to go find this other thing. I don't know where it is or what it is. But <laughs> if that works, that works. So the moment he does that, Havoc takes his attention away again for like half a second. And there's this like strange and deeply unsettling sequence here where if you didn't know that this was an X-Men comic, if this was your first X-Men comic, maybe, and you didn't really know what Havoc's powers were or how they worked or the visual signifier, which I got to say looks really cool. Uh, the white concentric circles expanding outside of the outline of Havoc's costume. So cool. Um, but Havoc just turns around and says, like, I there's too many lives at stake. Maybe I can do what no outside source can by destroying myself before I destroy others. And he runs off panel as Scott screams at him to stop. And then there's like a small wait, wait, explosion. Wait. Havoc is whining. Oh my Havoc god, that's so weird. Okay, go ahead. Havoc is whining and saying he's going to end it all. And then he runs off panel, and there's a small, not havoc-sized explosion with a blam, which is very much a gun sound effect and not associated with Havoc's powers almost ever. It looks like he ran off panel and shot himself. It's so yeah. weird. I read this so darkly because it's a lot of Scott like running after him, being like, good lord, Alex, my brother, no. But in the meantime, the Sentinel is thinking and thinking about what the source of all mutation is. And also maybe writing a poem. <laughs> <laughs> Assemble at once for the ultimate... Sorry, I can't read right now. For the ultimate resolution of the mutant question. He turns to the he turns to Judge Chalmers is like you will swiftly recover human but I must leave now and Chalmers is like where the hell are you going how am I alive what's going on here and the Sentinel says this like beautiful little line about to that place where leads the siren call of logic we must seek out the source of mutant inducing radiation though our quest lead us to the most inaccessible place of all 
to the very heart of the raging sun itself. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you're being extremely d- dramatic. <laughs> I, I like the idea that all life comes from the sun. I get it. Like, yes, all life in the cosmos ultimately derives from the solar furnaces that power us all and light us all. But like, I don't know. I feel like you could go several steps further. I don't think like all mutations in life, I know all mutations in life are not caused by ultraviolet radiation necessarily. It's just such a strange sequence of events where they're like, we have to prevent, I like it to think it's like, we have to prevent mutants, which means we have to prevent humans, which means we have to prevent life. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I don't. So this is, this is like one of those things that's like so crazy. So the Sentinels are not trying to prevent human life, not only mutant life, but destroying the sun would destroy humans. They're, they're creatures of a logic that is beyond you or I. <laughs> here's here's my real theory. So the Sentinels fly into the sun. That's what's about to happen. Yeah. Num- number two is programmed for drama, and he accidentally <laughs> screwed up, and he shot a judge, and he's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I can't. No, I have to die. I have to die tragically. And I'm taking all the Sentinels with me to the sun. And he's like, he needs a very dramatic exit because he screwed up and, <laughs> and nobody can know. That's my, that's my theory. It's a very dramatic exit. And when you've just shot a judge and you don't know what to do, you know, by all means, <laughs> you'll figure it out. I gotta get out of here. I honestly, you know, I was thinking um, after I read this, I would love it if like, you know, all of a sudden now there was a story in X-Men where these Sentinels or at least number two just comes back with the solution. Like that would be interesting. I'm back. Yes, if, number two sh- <laughs> if number two showed up and was like, I did it. I found the source of all mutation. You're going to hate this. <laughs> that would be amazing. Actually, we're ripe for that because right now there's a story in X-Men which involved an attempt to collapse uh, Earth's sun which appears to have been forgotten by mm. the writers of the issue. I don't know if they'll pick up on this soon. I hope to be proven wrong. It doesn't matter if it isn't because it's just a small thing, but it'd be really fun if the reason the sun didn't collapse was because number two was in there and fixed it. <laughs> That'd be amazing. There's a famous issue of Quasar by Mark Grenwald where the sun is being covered in sunspots and Quasar has to like scoop all the sunspots off. And like, it's him. That's a lot of Bobby Hero against this giant sun. It's amazing. It's It's really cool. Uh, finish the issue up for us, Steve. Yeah, well, after we get a little science lesson about uh, the size and mass of the sun and temperature, <laughs> it's always nice to get a few flashbacks, you know? Uh, right after our little flashback of the sun and the sentinels all fly into the sun and uh, presumably burn up or hang out there forever, uh, Scott does find out what happened to Alex, which is that he was crushed under some falling rubble. And so he's been injured enough that they have to take him to a doctor. So they go home and immediately flip through their late, quote unquote, late, scare quotes, late, uh, Professor Xavier's Rolodex. And the apparently the first name they find in there is one Dr. Carl Lycos, who is better known to listeners of this podcast and many others as Sauron. Who's my favorite X-Men villain. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is a really great introduction for him. It's genuinely sinister. And I noticed that they're using the same equipment that Toad used to perhaps and perhaps not justifiably take a life for Sauron. <laughs> yes, in X-Force. Amazing. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, he's like draining the life out of someone. And he's like, yes, I'll see havoc when you return. 
<laughs> so good. This is such a good issue and so much fun. Uh, and I will indelibly associate this issue with the three of you forevermore. Do any of you have any <laughs> questions or kind of closing comments on uh, what it was like to read this issue or to share in this together today? Uh, it was definitely good times reading this comic with you guys. Like I've I've never actually read a comic with people and talked about it specifically. So like this was like a new experience and a lot of fun. Oh. Um, and then the the issue itself was really cool. Like um, I think for me, just because like I knew the characters and Sentinels are in it because I like Sentinels. They're like you know the best. Um, so yeah, it was like super cool. And Neil Adams. I'm glad you joined me for this issue and not the one that had like the locust or the super adaptoid. And you'd be like, who the hell are these? <laughs> Where's my Sentinels? <laughs> uh, uh, Caroline, any final thoughts? Um, Yeah, I had fun reading this issue. Um, the art especially, you know, made me appreciate how things were, you know, in the 60s and, and um, with the action and everything. I really love the simplicity of how everything's drawn you know there's just enough detail to get get things across to you what's going on and everything i know a lot of um comics these days they try to pack so much detail into there that's difficult to follow what's going on especially the action scenes a lot of times so yeah i, I appreciate this one a lot you know compared to i mean don't get me wrong the the stuff these days the more modern artists and everything are brilliant and a lot of their art is beautiful but occasionally like there are times where they need to I feel like they need to dial back a bit on the details because there's just too much going on you know it's sure. difficult to follow so yeah it's and then the, the colors all are also very vibrant and not yeah they're not as dark as they are nowadays you know it's just I don't know more fun <laughs> It's more fun. I completely agree with that. It's a blast. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah. What, one of my uh, delights being on Gray Malkin Lane, one of my favorite things that we do here is that uh, I get to read these classic stories that I know a lot about. And often I've read them. Sometimes I haven't, you know, in especially uh, Silver Age um, X-Men stories. But like one of the things I really appreciate is we'll get to something that everybody knows. Every, like almost everybody in the X-Men fandom has heard of or has heard somebody tell of the time that Cyclops convinced the Sentinels to fly into the sun because <laughs> that's something that's so important. But <clears throat> like like with our grotesque episode that we did uh, recently, you know, everybody knows that Charles Xavier faked his death at one point with the original X-Men and Jean Grey knew about it and he was replaced by the Changeling. It's so crazy when you realize that that's also grotesque's first appearance and all the other stuff that happens. And there's a lot of lore that's happening outside of that. And like with that, you know, one of my favorite things about being on Gray Malkin is I get to see those classic moments, but also the stuff that nobody talks about, like the fact that, like, in the same issue that Cyclops convinces the Sentinels go to the sun, it's also possibly the first Sauron appearance, right? Like, it's a it's an introduction that is very sinister, and I did not realize he was going to be in this issue, so it was like the best post credit sting in a movie that I could have expected for a comic. Sure, also, yeah. like, I definitely didn't expect the weird Claremontian twist of like couple Cyclops and Jean Grey having to go around dressed as and in the clothes of a brother and sister villain. <laughs> you know, there's something going on there. Went right <laughs> over my head completely. 
<laughs> well, I have I have read every issue of Claremont's 17 year or so initial run, so like it's probably my brain that is the problem and not yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to no, share two final I'm going to share two final thoughts and then let's wrap up. All of the Sentinels had names like T7 and Z Z12 or whatever, but number 2 was like, "No, I'm the second one. <laughs> I'm the original. You're all going to do it as I say." Second, Alex is in the desert and his powers go nuts and he immediately just runs off and is like, leave me alone, I'm going to die. And then a sentinel captures him, brings him here. He is freed. His powers go crazy and he's like, no, leave me alone. And he runs <laughs> and then a building falls on him. And the, the, I feel like these that story is like Havoc's continuity. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. One little sentence. <laughs> The only thing that doesn't happen to him is he is not like dog walked by any women in loincloths in this issue. <laughs> not and that's yet. The only thing not missing. yet. <laughs> but he did get shot in the head. So, you know, <laughs> that's true. You guys, this was an absolute blast. Thank you for hanging out with me this evening, for sharing your times and talents. I had a I had a great time. As we're wrapping up, uh, let people know where they can find each of you online. And recognizing this episode comes out in mid-October, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, let's go in the order of Jerry, Steve, Caroline. Oh, cool. Um, I don't have much to plug at the moment. Like nothing's like jumping out. Um, but you can find me uh, the franchise art at um, on Instagram and uh, just the franchise with the Z on Twitter. I don't tweet too much, but um, yeah, that's me. Or you could just Google Jerry Gaylord. I'll pop up. I promise. Yeah, you're delightful to follow on Instagram. And it's so <laughs> much fun getting to know you, man. You're an absolute blast. This is a great time today. It's good uh, times for sure. And then Steve, you go next. Yeah, I'm Steve. Steve Duda. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Howdy Duda. That's spelled H-O-W-D-Y, like Howdy and D-U-D-A, which is my name. Um yeah, I uh, I like to talk about the X-Men. I am a regular contributor on Access for Podcast. You can also find them on Twitter at Access for Podcast. Um, we are always talking about the various X-Men issues that come out. We talk about mystical stuff, Captain Marvel stuff, whatever kind of hits our hits our fancy that week. But uh, generally the best comics that are coming out from Marvel. And we love talking about them. And I hope you come and listen to us. And by the time this episode comes out, we will be still in the middle of axe coverage and definitely uh coming up close on uh, the end of defenders beyond by that time and then, and then caroline um i am on twitter facebook and instagram under caroline cosplay uh i don't have any projects really coming up nothing that i can really talk about i have a potential one coming up but um yeah nothing nothing really big i don't really plan my cosplays until it gets closer to the convention. I like to see who's going to be the guest first. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I, you can find me on those different platforms. You know, I like to talk about Psylocke most of the time, you know, and I, I do have a Facebook group called World of Betsy and Kanon. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Wonderful. And then lastly, you can find Gray Malkin Lane on Twitter under Gray Malkin PP like podcast or on Instagram, Instagram under Gray Malkin underscore lane. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to follow me because uh, awesome. I know you now. Uh, yeah. You can look forward to a lot of great stuff coming up from Gray Malkin Lane. Check out our t-shirt shop. Our next issue after this, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 60 with the incredible artist as our featured guest, uh, Steen Stewart, which is just amazing. Uh, in our next Patreon episode, we will have just released uh, an episode all about Storm's parents with Bart Fox. 
And the one after that, I'm going to be reviewing The Demons, The Ungarai with uh, Ariana Mar. And I'm super excited for both. Uh, we will see you guys all back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Wait, wait, wait. There's there's one thing I totally uh, need to tell everyone that I Please. just found out. Please. I just found out this week that Grey Malkin Lane is like the, uh, that's the address for the Xavier Mansion. So yes. Now now I know. I, I'm, I'm late. I feel like I should I should have known that already. Don't don't kick don't erase me out of the podcast. I will not. The reason I named the podcast this, the X-Men is largely about found family. You leave but you leave behind the people that didn't accept you and live with the people who do. And uh that's it's it's kind of a queer themed podcast. That's something most queer people have to go through. So we named it Grand Malkin Lane for that reason. Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. It. All right, everybody. Thank you, uh Jared Caroline. Steve, this is a blast. We'll see you guys back here uh next time on Grand Malkin. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Grand Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane.